0: Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching.
1: Come early, looking to fill out uh, prayer on the wall, and notice those who are already gone, and that the candles were pre lit, and that the table looks different. Today, our desire is to slow down and actually contemplate, reflect, and celebrate this practice of communion. You know, traditions are wonderful, but so often we start doing traditions so often that we forget why we do them. What does it mean, right? I don't know if you've heard of the famous legend of the ham pan. How many of you heard that? The ham pan legend. It goes something like this. A young couple is newly married and celebrating their first Thanksgiving, and the wife is so excited to make her family's famous ham and she puts out the ham, she prepares the glazing, and she's about to put the ham in the pan, and she goes, wait, 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 there's one more step. I must cut the end of the ham before I put it in the pan. Husband goes, why would you do that? That's perfectly good meat, don't do that. Well, you don't understand, this is how it's always been done. Well, that makes no sense, why would they do that? Well, okay, I'll call my mom and ask her why. So she calls her mom and says, mom, Obviously, my husband doesn't know about this tradition, and I actually don't know why we cut the ends of the ham. So why do we cut the ends of the ham? And mom thinks about it for a minute. She goes, honey, actually, I I don't know. Your grandmother always cut the ends of the ham. Maybe we should call her. And so she calls the grandma, and grandma, why do we cut the ends of the ham? Obviously, it must make the ham taste so much better. Does the juice come to the sides? I mean, what happens? And grandma goes, I don't know. I don't know why it happens. I think I better call my mom. Great-grandma is at the retirement center, and so they call her. Hey, great-grandma, why do you cut the ends of the ham every time? All of us have been doing this, not realizing why we do this. And she goes, well, I don't know why you cut the ends of the ham, but my pan was only so big, I had to cut the ends of the ham. Right? Sometimes we do things, and we don't know why we're doing them, and maybe for you, you've taken communion for years. You take it here every Sunday. It's a practice that you have come to love and and really look forward to, and you totally get why you're doing it, and that's awesome. Maybe you have taken it so many times, sometimes it feels kind of a little bit empty, like, okay, I know I must do this, and I know it's good, but I don't know, I did it, and you know, it's not the thing for the Sunday. It's not the highlight of the weekend. Some of you have never taken it, or you have taken it, and you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And my desire today for us, no matter where we are in the spectrum, is that we pause and consider why Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him. What is the meaning of it? What is the meaning of the bread? Why bread? What is the meaning of the juice? Why grape juice? Why not something else? And why do we do this on a regular basis? Why does it help us remember? That's my goal for us today. It's my heart and my desire that we almost take the posture that Jesus had towards this meal. I don't know if you heard the words. It said, as Jesus was preparing for this meal, he tells his disciples, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you. I was looking forward to it. I eagerly expected this moment where we would have this meal. I've been looking forward forward to it. I pray that that would be the posture of our hearts, not just today, as we talk about it for a time and then finally get to do it, but every time we come to do this practice, we look forward to it for what it will do to us, and what it will do to our hearts, and what it will do to our community. That's my heart and my desire today. As a backdrop, I want to just briefly, and I mean briefly, because let me tell you, when I started studying for this message, I realized Man, I can teach a whole series on communion because there's, it's almost like the, the pinnacle of all that Jesus came to do. You'll see the more, I thought, oh, this is going to be a very simple message. I'm not going to have to work so hard this week. It'll be like, Boo, it'll come together like that. Oh, no, it did not. And my biggest challenge was to take thousands of pages of notes and try to get them down to a simple sermon. So very briefly, let me give you the background of this meal. As you heard, this was a Passover meal. And I don't want to assume everybody knows what that means. The Passover meal uh, was something celebrated by the Israelites, the Jews, year after year after year as also a remembrance. They were remembering back at a time when the whole nation of Israel was enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. And God calls Moses to uh, be his instrument, to speak to the Pharaoh and free the people of Israel. The Pharaoh refuses. And time and time again, God does these great miracles, hoping that he will wake up the Pharaoh to realize, I am God when I say to do something, you ought to do it, take me seriously. And once in a while, the Pharaoh would take him seriously, and then he'd go back and go, no, I'm not letting them free. Finally, after many different um, plagues and things that God does for the Egyptians, God brings the spirit of justice into the town. Essentially, he, he makes this, uh, he makes this proclamation that this final thing that he will do, this final act of judgment will finally make Pharaoh release the people. And he wants to protect his people as he does so. And so he tells them, go and find a goat or a lamb, a perfect one, a one year old, and slaughter it and cook it as a meal take its blood and splatter it on your door, on the doorposts, on the sides. As the spirit of judgment comes through the city that night, it will pass over your home. So your home will not be affected by the judgment that God is bringing upon the Egyptians. And the judgment that God brought was that the firstborn, not only of families but animals, died that night, but not for the people of Israel. And not only were they saved from that judgment, But they were set free. And finally, that day became the beginning of the nation of Israel following God. So year after year, the people of Israel celebrated this Passover meal. It's not just bread and a cup. They actually had a whole meal. They had lamb and vegetables and all the things to celebrate that special day. Jesus is having a Passover meal with his disciples. And this would not have been his first time. I mean, Jesus was... 30-something years old. By then, he had had many Passover meals. He had been with the disciples for three years, so that meant he at least had three Passover meals with his disciples. So why this one? Why was he so excited about this particular supper? He says, I fervently desire or eagerly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knows this one is special because just like the first one that inaugurated a nation of Israel that followed God, this one was going to inaugurate a nation of not just Israelites but Gentiles as well. This was going to be the beginning of a new thing God was doing, and it was going to come through suffering. And what's amazing is that Jesus looked forward to it. He knew that this would be a good thing. And the church, after Jesus died and was resurrected, did this Passover or this sort of uh, communion, as we call it, or sometimes you heard it called Eucharist, which is a word for thanksgiving or gratitude for grace. The church continued this practice year after year, looking back at this Passover that Jesus had with his disciples. But the problem is, we often forget the meaning of it. In fact, Paul writes right away, so you know you're not like the only church that might forget, the only people that might forget. Because not too long after this happened, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth saying, you're not doing it right. You're forgetting what this means. And he tells them, listen, it's not the cup of thanksgiving which, um, for which we give thanks, a participation, a communion with the blood of Christ. And it's not the bread that we break, a participation, a communion with the body of Christ. Please don't forget why we do this. Don't forget the relevance, the importance, the incredible presence that comes of God when we do this with the right heart and in the right way. This word that Paul uses, participation, is the Greek word koinonia, which is communion. It means fellowship, which means this practice cannot be done by us alone. Like you can hang out at home and take out some bread and pour some grape juice and go, I'm going to have communion by myself at home today, you would miss the point because the point is for us to do it together. Jesus starts out saying, I look forward to doing this together with you. It is a together kind of event. It is to be done with other people, other believers and non-believers. It is to be an inviting table of others. And it has two parts. It has the bread and it has the, one, the, the cup. And this cup, today, we are doing it differently. If you're a chapel attendant, you know, we normally have a cup sitting here where you take the bread and you dip it. Today, we actually have a, a cup for each one of us, because I want us to we like, really have this moment individually, but also in community with one another. So I want to break down each one. First, the bread. Jesus says, uh, this is, I'm going to read from Colossians, I mean, sorry, from Corinthians and from Luke. And I want you to try to see the slight difference between Jesus saying it and Paul saying it so that you can capture the meaning of this bread. 1 Corinthians 11 says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, this is Paul quoting Jesus. Jesus said, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and he said, this is my body, you read this with me, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. It's common when you are, if you've been in other traditions, you've heard people say, uh, the body of Christ broken for you. How many of you have heard that, right? And it comes from this sort of uh, language because the Corinthians passage uh, it's translated from the original Greek language. Now, we, they did not have the printing press as we do today. If you want to publish a book today and you go to a publisher, you give them your manuscript, they put it in a machine, and it prints out copy after copy after copy, and they, all copies and they all look the same, right? But in the first century, they would have scribes that literally hand-wrote copies of these documents thousands of them. Today, we have over 5,800 copies or sections of the New Testament written by these scribes. And they're not all exactly the same. You have a scribe who might make some errors or or might add something because they're human, right? They're not machines, which is why if you have your Bible with you today and you look at it, if your Bible has this, there are footnotes in your Bibles because it will tell you some manuscripts have this. How many of you have noticed that? That's a good example. So some manuscripts in 1 Corinthians 13 says, this is my body which is broken for you. Most do not. And no manuscript has that in the words of Jesus when he says, this is my body which is given for you. Now, I want us to pause for a moment because that in itself is one of the biggest things we celebrate when we take this practice of communion. Here at Mariner's Church, we call it Communion. Other places might call it Eucharist or the the Lord's Supper, but we call it communion. When we take this practice, we are looking at this idea that God chose to give, to give his body. The Greek word is didomi, which is to bestow upon, to offer, to present to others, right? To grant for the benefit of another. God, the creator of the universe... The one who could do anything he wants to do. Do you agree that God is God and he can do anything? Are you agree with that? Okay, he can do anything. And one of the biggest challenges that people have is believing that that God, the God who created everything, could actually become a human. Many people go, well, God's over there and there's no way he could become a human. And so they struggle with the idea that Jesus is God in the flesh. But if God could do anything... And God created us humans, how hard would it be for him to become a human? It, it stands to reason he could do anything. He chooses this posture of a human body. In fact, Philippians 2 says he lowered himself, he emptied himself, and became took human form. Now, here's the remarkable thing. Jesus could have come in a super body. He could have been like the greatest Avenger, <laughs> Right? I mean, those movies have nothing compared to what the body Jesus could have come in. And he could have come in a body that never died, never dealt with sickness or illness or pimples, right? He had the perfect teenage years, perfect skin, no aging. Oh my goodness, I'm noticing noticing aging in my mirror. He didn't have to deal with any of that. But he didn't. He chose a body like yours, like mine, that decays and breaks down and eventually dies. But he doesn't just do that. He chooses to die, and to die in the most horrific of ways. So Jesus, when he says, this is my body given for you, is given in its fullness for you, given even to death for you. Remarkable when you think about it for a moment. The scripture says that not a single one of his bones would be broken. In fact, this is in Luke chapter 19. It says, They did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. This is when he's on the cross. The practice was that while they were on the cross, if the Roman soldiers got tired of waiting for the person to die, they would break their legs so that they would not be able to pull themselves up. And pulling themselves up meant that they could exhale because when you're in this position, you can (laughs) breathe in, but you cannot breathe out. And so they would pull themselves up and exhale But once the legs were broken, they couldn't do that anymore, and they would die. And you you might think that's really, really awful. But believe it or not, breaking the legs was an act of mercy because the agonizing pain of waiting and waiting until finally you could not do it anymore and and you died in that was worse than just simply dying quickly. But Jesus chose to die. Not one of his bones were broken. He died the worst, the most gruesome type of death. Anybody watched The Passion of Christ movie? You know, when that movie came out, Mel Gibson wanted to do the best he could, and, you know, he's human too, to depict this event. And he showed it, he previewed it with some people. And when they saw the movie, uh, uh, one of the critics, Roger Ebert, said it was the most violent movie he'd ever seen. They tried to make it PG-13. There was no way they were going to get a PG-13 rating. And so they edited the movie to re-release it to the public. And even then, it was one of those movies where you watched it, and you just were just, ugh, it was so awful. And as awful as it was, it was accurate. It was accurate. Jesus gave his body to be beaten, to be destroyed, his skin to be destroyed, to be torn, to be mistreated, to be hung on a tree, a shameful death, to be killed in the most humiliating, gruesome way ever invented by humans. He gave himself. He says, I do this on my own accord. I do this. He gave himself. The bread represents that gift of himself, fully given for you, for me. It was a choice. He did this for us. Isaiah 53, 5 says this. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds, by his wounds, by giving his whole being By allowing even his soul to be torn apart, he took on the penalty of sin we deserved. That's a gift that he gives us. And there's two responses to that typically. Of course, people will receive that and go, thank you, Jesus. I'm so grateful. But then there's other responses. Some people might say, well, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve someone dying for me in that way. And if you think that way, you think you're not worthy, you think you might not deserve that gift, that you think it's, well, it's for somebody else. It's not for me. Then you're missing the point because he did come for you. It's not your choice. It's not you that gets to say, yeah, do this for me or not. He gave. He chose. He did it. It was not an option. He did it. For you, it's not whether or not you want to. um, You you get to control it. Your only option is to decide whether to accept it or not. It's like if I have this giant gift right here for you, and I go, "This is for you." All you get to say is yes or no. But I'm giving you this gift. That's what he did. And then sometimes we have the opposite. We go, "We don't need that. I'm fine. I'm a good person. I got it together." Why would he need to do that for me? I mean, honestly. Look at me. I'm awesome. Well, Jesus was perfect. Are you? No. Yes, you need it. You need him. Either one is a response that's full of pride. He did not go to the cross because you are worthy of it. He did not go to the cross because you deserve it. He did not go to the cross because you even want it. He went to the cross because you need it, because I need it. Because even when I don't recognize it, I need it. And he gave himself for us. This shared meal that we have together is a reminder of his heavenly body given up for us. Remarkable. Now, I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think about that. Think about you. Imagine you sitting at that table with Jesus already feeling the tension of what's going on in the streets. People heard Jesus is in town. We're going to go get him, right? There's that, that tension. Knowing already that Jesus has predicted that he would go to the cross, and he says to you, this is my body given for you. I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to suffer. I'm about to bleed. I'm about to have a hard time breathing. I'm about to take on your sin and let the judgment of God fall upon it for you. For you. Yes. You. Now open your eyes for a moment. The taking of the bread, that this idea of Repeating this practice, which the early church did, is a reminder of God's provision. Jesus had already hinted at this when he fed the 5,000. He took bread and he broke it. You remember that story? He took a few fish and a few pieces of bread. He had compassion over the people, and he took these and he broke them and he gave them to the people. It's the bread that is broken to remind us all that happened to the body and the soul of Jesus. But the bread is broken as a picture of provision, but not just provision, but also community. Because one bread, if it was eaten by one person, I can just grab this whole thing and take a chunk, a bite of it, and hey, that's it. It doesn't have to be broken if it's just for me. It has to be broken if it's going to be for us. If it's going to be for all. It must be broken. It must be distributed. And while we hold on to the bread, we are united by this gift. Each of us holding our peace. As Paul says, from one bread come many parts. From all those parts, we all become one. One in the body of Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Jesus says in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. It's so appropriate for us to pray, dear Lord, give us this daily bread. I don't know what you're hungry for. I don't know what you're thirsty for, what you're needing today. What are you desperate for, for Jesus to give you? He gave all of himself, so believe me, whatever your need is, he knows it, and he can provided, provided it is good for you. And so I want us to pause just now before we go to the cup and you're not going to get up from your seats. You're going to want to, I warn you. Now, if you want to stand, that's fine, but we're not going to take the bread just yet. But I want us just to pause and reflect on the invitation that Jesus gives us when he says, this is my body given for you. And if you feel like singing along, sing along, but just Listen to these words and think about the gift of the bread, the body of Christ.
0: Are you hurting
1: and broken within?
0: Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling? Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ leave behind your regrets and mistakes come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.
1: In the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And in Luke 22, in the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is pour out for you. There's a correlation between what Jesus is doing at this table and all the Old Testament sacrifices that happened before them. You see, in the altar, an animal would be sacrificed. Its blood would be shed to be a covering, an atonement, for the sins of the people. And you know, we that word atonement is not like you use it every day, right? How many of you use that word? Okay, none of us. That's right. We don't. But we do atonement. When when you ask someone for forgiveness, when you apologize sincerely with someone for something you've done, that is a way of atonement. It's saying I I take responsibility for that. I take I take the guilt of that. The animals took the guilt, and therefore the people for a time, were given pardon. Jesus was the final atonement, the atonement, the one that actually took the sins away from, from us, separated us from our sin. As far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 says. Through his blood, we are forgiven from our sins, set free from the power of sin once and for all. No longer would the sacrifices be needed. Rather, we would remember this act of Jesus on the cross by taking from a cup. Every time we drink from the cup, we are reminded that it represents a precious gift, life. That's what the blood represents, right? Life, life given up for us, the perfect life, the life he deserves, we now receive. He took the death. We deserve for our sins. And so naturally, when we take this cup, we are remembering the ultimate sacrifice. The precious blood is that song sings. And in fact, Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And in, 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 in Greek, that word for forgiveness is more than just forgiveness and pardon, but it's actually freedom to be set free from captivity. So without the shedding of blood, we would never be free from our sins. Like the people of Israel, they weren't free from their sins. They would go and atone, and the animals would be sacrificed, and they had to do it again and again and again. Whereas now through Jesus, it's done, it's done, it's finished, as he said. It is finished. It's up to us now to receive that gift. Just like we have to receive the bread, we have to receive the gift of his blood. His blood did the work. Are we embracing that gift? Are we believing that he has separated sin from us? Not that we won't sin again because we are still broken people, but sin has no power over us. And if we call in the name of Jesus, if we trust in the Holy Spirit, he will give us always a way out, always a way out. And God is quick to forgive and slow to be angry with us. He gives us freedom He gives us forgiveness that we could not have any other way. That's what the cup represents. A new covenant, a new deal with God. You know, the the first covenant, it's kind of like a will. And when you, when you put together a will, if you've written your own will, that will does not do anything until what happens? Until you die. Exactly. And so in order for this promise that God had made, someone had to die. Who made the promise? God, God had to die. Jesus takes on that death so that this promise is now fulfilled. The new covenant that Jesus makes only happens because he sheds his blood. In other words, he dies. Death was necessary for us to live. Remarkable, isn't it? Now, when we think about both these things, we must remember these are gifts. And they're always an invitation by God to come to him for what we need the most. When you think about it, what do you eat? You eat solids and you eat liquids, right? It's our very provision. It's what we need. And here in this meal, it's represented all that we need physically, but also all that we need spiritually. Let's take a moment and reflect as we sing this song again on the blood of Christ. I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. That is the promise of God in Exodus 20, 24. Every time we take time to remember what Jesus did for us, when we take this meal, the blessing of the Lord, the presence of the Lord is with us. Every time we do so, every time we bring to mind what he did, and it's this is a compressed expression of a huge event, right? A, a very, very simplified version, a symbol of a greater thing that God did. It causes us to look back, look back at all that God did for us. And look look back even our own lives and where we have failed and where we need his salvation. It causes us to look inward, to look within ourselves and and ask God, God, where is Where am I not living out this truth? Where am I not embracing all of your gifts to me? Where am I not letting your blood shed? What sin am I covering for myself and not giving to you to pay the price for? It causes to look in, it causes us to look forward to the day where there will be a table set out. Man, it will be the largest table ever, and it will have all our brothers and sisters, and it will be a great feast, not just bread and a cup. It will have all kinds of food, and there at the table will be our Savior sitting with us. We will be at the banquet table one day. No more sadness, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more death. And it causes us to look outward. To look at others who might need to hear the good news because they don't know it yet. To look at those who have needs of any kind because God provided for us the greatest need and then he calls us to care for the needs of others. Remember, he had compassion over the people. That's why he broke the bread and broke the fish to feed others. He has compassion for us. That's why he broke his body and shed his blood. Therefore, do we not then are called to have compassion on others who are suffering in all kinds of ways? We are called to look outward. This is a table of remembrance. And when we remember all of these things, we are blessed by the Heavenly Father. We are blessed by his presence, and we are filled with his joy. The table of communion is a table of joy. Yes, it's a table of deep reflection. Yes, it causes us to think deeply about what he has done. But at the same time, it calls us to proclaim. As as the writer Paul says, every time we do this, we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We, we, we proclaim with joy that we have been saved. We have been saved from sure death. We proclaim to others that all the things they've been seeking and wanting and, and, and desperate for are found in Jesus Christ. It's not anywhere else. No other, no other God, uh, man-made idol, no other religion, not even religion itself can provide what Jesus provides for us. The freedom, the victory the joy that he gives us. And so we come to this table in joy. I want to finish with this last word out of Psalm 16. It says, Lord, this is like David looking ahead, obviously. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. You reveal the path of life to me. And in your presence is abundant joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. What do we celebrate at this table? We celebrate that his presence is our joy. We celebrate that with him are all the pleasures, all the pleasures that he would give us, which is amazing. Nothing in this world. Listen, there are pleasures in this world, and life is good, no question about it. Nothing compared to the pleasures that come from our Heavenly Father. We don't even have the mind to conceptualize the joy that God will bring us when we're sitting at his table once and for all. So I want us to partake in this meal today. Are you ready for it? Are you like, gosh, can you stop talking? I want to take that bread. And we've done something different. We, we actually have big loaves of bread. And I, unlike our normally already pre-cut bread today, believe me, our elders have washed their hands and so have I. But if you feel like, oh, I can't do that, we do have the the Gluten-free options, but I want to break this bread, and I want us to take from a broken bread, and then take a cup, and instead of dipping, we're going to drink from a cup. But we're going to do it together as a community. So I'm going to invite the elders that are going to be up front to come forward, and then we've got a couple of elders who are going to be in the back as well, and hosts, and this team is going to serve communion for you today. And we're going to have a station, two stations in the back and two stations in the front. So it goes fairly, fairly quickly, but we're not in a hurry. Because we want you to listen to the words as they speak them over you. And then you will go and get your bread and you will get your cup. And please come back to your seat. Don't eat it. Don't drink the cup. I would like, as the song is being sang over us, that you actually look at the bread, look at the cup, continue to reflect and remember, take it in. And then once everyone is back at their seats, we will take it together and then worship the Lord. Is that clear? Okay, so let me do the best I can to break this bread. (laughs) Amen, amen. Hey, listen, if you have needs for prayer, I haven't forgotten about you. Our elder is here up front, and the prayer team is around the room. So before you leave, they would be honored and pleased to pray with you and for you. Uh, also, before you leave, I want you to take a time and hug a brother or sister and just give the peace to one another as we, have, as we complete this meal together. But let me pray a blessing over you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you for this time of remembrance. I pray that you would bless each and every one of us with a greater awareness of your presence with us every day. Would you help us, Father, embrace your grace, grace by grace by grace, each day, each moment, reminding ourselves that it is done. It is done. We can live in victory and bring others to you, oh God. We can serve you. So, Lord, would you bless us with that awareness, would you smile upon them, Father? Would you, would you always be reminding them of your perfect love? May we walk out of here renewed, refreshed, fed, full of your goodness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Go in God's grace. We'll see you next week. Go love someone.
0: Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and His work together. Thanks again.